So I watched the Anita video you sent me. It wasn't oh, really right. about Anita. Yeah. Well, it was about Anita. It wasn't Anita herself. Yeah. I think we all sort of knew. At least all of us with brain cells knew she wasn't a gamer. Because because either that or, or she was like, well, she still is, but, you know, the poster child of the cherry-picking fallacy, yeah. if I've ever seen one. Oh, and I, I just got into, like, into a stupid argument today. Like, one of our listeners, uh, Devin, I'm sorry, I don't remember his last name, but uh, he had posted something about Anita, and I, I had basically said that, uh, you know, Anita's a con artist and how uh, – do you hear my do you hear my dryer? <laughs> Not really. Okay, never mind. Uh, I I said that she's basically a con artist and she cherry picks her facts and she doesn't she basically cribs everything from TV tropes and doesn't really offer a solution to anything. She just has this. What she does is she puts stuff on on the screen behind her and then she. She goes, this is misogyny, and then she makes a snarky face, and she moves on. And that, I said, that's not really criticism. And then this other guy chimes in. Uh, he's just like, he's just like, well, some people cherry pick her arguments, and you know, you know, she may not be perfect, but you know, even a, even a stopped watch is right two times a day. I'm like, that's okay. not, a, that's not, a, that's not an argument for her. Yeah, it's like, what is that an argument for? That makes no sense. Okay, a, even a liar tells the truth sometimes. So it, it, it's like saying, you know, that crazy guy that smells like piss that holds the cardboard sign on the corner about needing money. I'm sure he's right once in a while. I saw a really enlightening uh, quote scrawled on a bathroom wall. That means that that means I should pay attention to bathroom stalls whenever I need wisdom. And then I said, you know, Alex Jones is right sometimes, but that doesn't make him any less a crank. <laughs> oh, but he's an entertaining one. Yeah, he's an entertaining. One. At least he, yeah, at least he's funny. At, at least you know some. I think he doesn't totally believe what he says. I don't know. It's but it it is. I can at least laugh at his craziness. The funny thing is this: she made a pitch for our listeners. She made a pitch for if she gets to make a game about a strong female protagonist. It, it basically it's 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 her take on Zelda, mm-hmm. except it's not Zelda. Where the princess is kidnapped, and she like was like, you know what? I'm tired of being kidnapped. She kicks the door down, beats up a guard, steals his stuff, fights in the forest, levels up, and then the gameplay switches from hack and slash to stealth, you know, stealth gameplay, you know, midway through the game to where she's back in the city and she's wanted. And it's like, you know, number one, that's bad game design to switch yeah. gameplay modes midway through game. I don't know. I think you're giving her a little too much credit because uh, I don't see where there was even a game described in that in that uh, presentation. I'm like, okay, what kind of game is this? It's I guess it's sort of RPG-ish. That's the only that's the only uh, part I really got was that there was some sort of uh, experience system in there. But beyond that, I'm like, okay, what is this? What kind of game is this? I don't I don't understand. You know, she makes it sound like it's some kind of game proposal, but it it kind of isn't. It's it's just her take on how to do female characters. You know, like there's some kind of rule for that. I, I have experience writing female characters. I have two female lead characters in my webcomic. The way I write them is... You write them like they, people. Yeah, I write them like... Basically, one I write entirely like me, and the other one is like, I don't know, three... Uh, it's like a combination of like three or four girls that I know. And that's basically how I write them. I don't, I don't try to get into the mind of, okay, what's the female perspective? I never fucking think that. I just... 
if I have something funny to say, I put it in one of their mouths, and that's how I write them. Well, you know, that's, that's all brain. you have to think about. If you try to if you try to frame it in the way that Anita does, you're going to screw yourself up. So don't even pay attention to her. I I just had to bring this up because uh, a video was uncovered where she was lecturing at a or not lecturing. She was showing a class project in college during her college years. I believe that's what it is. And she says that she's not a gamer at all. She hates video games because they're all like they're all just male power fantasies. And and like I said, here she is contradicting her mission statement when she did her kick fraud or where she said she is a girl gamer and and she she loves games and and da 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 while she's playing with controllers that are off. Well, she could have been playing the game in that in that picture. I mean, every everyone at some point in time has picked up a Nintendo controller as a kid. Eh, no, the power was. Off. I'm not even gonna question that. The Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007, starting with the Webcomic Beacon, a topical webcomics podcast with a jovial bunch of misfits like your local morning radio show. Also, the Webcomic Beacon Newscast recaps, reviews, and discussions of community and industry news relative to comic creators, especially of digital distribution. Also, the Tropecast, the ever-tangential discussion of literary and visual memes. And finally, Web Fiction World. Before webcomics, there was independent and self-published web-release written fiction and literature. Find this all at webcastbeacon.com. Be sure to grab a master RSS feed or master iTunes feed and not miss a thing. Hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Uh, tonight we're talking about cartoon crossovers. You, of course, know my co-host. He's Mr. Neil. That car wants to go home just as much as they do. Yes. <laughs> I want to go home. It's... But uh, yeah, it's basically this is where franchises are, you know, try to either inject some blood into each other, get some, uh, get some, uh, get some various, uh, you know, cross promotional stuff going, and it's sometimes it works, most of the times it doesn't. It yeah. just, but uh, actually, Neil's list is really interesting. When my favorite on this list is actually Defenders of the Earth. Yeah, I, that one had to be on there. That's why that's number one. Imagine, like, all the pulp comic heroes from, like, before comic books took off, like the Phantom and Mandrake and, and you know, Flash Gordon all teaming up, and th that's Defenders of the Earth. That literally is Defenders of the Earth. Right. That That's, you know, there, there's no way around it. That is what that is. And... <laughs> It's glorious. I mean, and a pretty cool theme song if I remember correctly. Yes, Defenders of the Earth. Defenders. And and well, they they took some liberties to it. Actually, uh, Flash Gordon's wife uh, Dale mm -hmm. is stuck in a computer, and uh, and the Phantom has a you know they all have children. They all have children, so there there's a little bit of going on here yeah it's but but still you know you have you know mandrake is argued by some comic historians to be the first superhero ah. because he he was the first uh, pulp hero to have superpowers being his magic ah, i see so so there's been lots of arguments about mandrake being the first superhero so here is you know the f world's first superhero mandrake in animation and it, it, it's almost like it's almost sad because it's overlooked. 
but it's really it's really you know like i said i i like this cartoon although if you want to count like a superhero as being any any kind of hero with that wears a, a costume and has a secret identity i uh, i think the very first one would be the scarlet pimpernel at least she's at least as far as i remember zorro yeah okay well i don't know which one came first but <laughs> but uh yeah it, this this is actually you know like I said, I, I love Defenders of the Earth because it's uh, because uh, these are old comic strips actually distributed by King Feature Syndicate. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we Flash all know for uh, Hagger the Horrible and, and Beetle Bailey. Yeah, but like I said, I, I love I love uh, I love the Phantom. You know, the Phantom. You know, especially the Billy Zane movie, vastly underrated movie. One of the most fun superhero movies I've ever seen. I mean. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, very few people remember it, but uh, I mean, do you remember it, Neil? No, I think I skipped it because it had Billy Zane. Ouch. Yeah, he's an okay actor. He's just if you ever hear him in real life, he's kind of a nitwit. I've never heard him in real life. Nah, so you like... don't. You really don't want to listen to an interview with the man. He's kind of stupid. Is is he as stupid as Matt Damon? He. Matt he's, Damon. He's a magical thinker. He he kind of believes in the power of. Uh, positive thinking i guess you would say matt damon and he believes in some other stupid things too like um pyramids possibly the one thing is uh the one thing i don't see here is is you know what the production company is for defenders of the earth it's uh you know the wikipedia doesn't list the 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 production company which i actually find kind of strange yeah for for a while i kind of thought it was like a sunbow thing but that's that's all that's because it has like the I think it might have been Toei. It had it had the Japanese uh, animation, yeah, yeah, the animation. So a lot of the a lot of the cartoons of of that era kind of had that look. And the, also, the Phantom sort of has like this vixen thing going, where he can like summon the strength and power of animals, which was mm-hmm. never in the comics because the Phantom is is just this guy in, in in a purple jumpsuit with two pistols. But you know they had to like make it a little bit safer for uh, for children and stuff. Right. But yeah, you know, this this really is this really is kind of nice, you know, even with even with the children. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm probably giving a lot of uh, a lot of shit for the children thing, but uh it's I'm still going to give it shit for the children thing. It's it's like why guys? You could have just had the show with just adults. It, it's 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 that same it's that same uh studio mentality of children can't relate to adults. Yeah. You have to have a child in it that created shit like Anakin Skywalker being a child and Phantom Menace. Daniel Witwicky. Hey, Daniel worked. I, I, I I guess, but let's see, is David Mendenhall in this cartoon? I don't see his name. He, he would have been about the right age for this cartoon. Oh, you said Daniel, not Spike. Okay. Daniel didn't work. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel was kind of a, well, Spike was a little bit older too. Yeah, Spike, Spike was cool. Spike could drive a Spike was old enough to drive a car, so it's not like. <laughs> Depending on the episode, sometimes he said he wasn't old enough. I remember him driving. I know, I know, but you know, Sunbow cartoons commonly contradicted themselves. Maybe we better wait until I'm old enough to drive. <laughs> yes, and uh, let's move on with this list to what Neil referenced in the opening. Yes, Jetsons meet the Flintstones. Yabba dabba, friend. Yeah, but that's what I should have done. I was like, what's a good quote from that movie? 
So I picked the one at the end. Yeah, this, that... uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it. it... At least okay, it wasn't. Have, at least it didn't have Tiffany in it. Yeah, at least it didn't have Tiffany in it. It was okay. It was just kind of it. It kind of suffered from uh, that mid '80s Hanna Barbera thing, where the animation really wasn't all that good, and the writers really weren't equipped to adapt these characters into a long form movie. And or I should say, it wasn't the writers' fault. Was, these characters are just not made for a movie like this. These characters aren't made to be on the same screen. Yeah. Well, because, well, the thing is, even though there are some design similarities between the Jetsons and the Flintstones, I mean, just just the way the characters are built, I mean, all the Flintstone characters are built to be, like, barrel-bodied, while the Jetsons are built to be, like, slender and and stuff, you know, except, well, well, all the all the guys are built to be slender with, like, a, with like a tub, mm-hmm. you know, a, a gut. Like, uh, co- uh, it's, is it Mr. Cogswell? Yeah, he's yeah. kind of a bigger character, but he, yeah, even he has like little tiny legs on him. Yes, yeah. the 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 design the design design theory is, is is similar, but not similar enough. I mean, there could have been some work done. You had to adapt either one way or the other, or or do something totally wacky. But the part of the problem is, I think, is it took itself a little too seriously at the same time because you had because you had both families worrying about their jobs. Yeah, there was a huge there was a huge unemployment. Uh, plot in this story for both families basically what this felt like is uh the way the jetsons cartoon was written in the 80s it was kind of written like that and it, it felt like a jetsons episode that just happened to have the flintstones in it. that's what it felt like and i think you, i think really this was a this was an attempt to get some more people to watch you know to to look at or watch the jetsons because yeah. the flintstones even when it was off the air was immensely more popular than Jetsons. Yeah, yeah, and this was like, I was kind of used to the Jetsons being in the style, the, the the later 80s style, but you plug the Flintstones into that, and you're really not used to it, so it was kind of weird at the time. Plus, like, uh, the both actresses who played Betty were dead, so they had to get a, a third Betty, and um, of course, Henry Corden had taken over for Fred at that time, so it wasn't the same Fred. Although, Henry was okay. I think by that time, he got his legs in it. Yeah, he was he was he was a pretty good friend. But yeah, it's uh, yeah I've I've always had issues with this movie and and uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of skip in this list a little bit because this actually leads to another crossover I want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> the Simpsons meet the critic. Okay. Because Were they on this. Yes. Yes. Actually, the thing is there's a huge backstory behind the scenes of the Simpsons meets the critic. Lots of politics going on. Uh, Matt Groening hated the fact that people thought he did the critic. Matt Groening did not do the critic. It was, it, it, yes. Even he doesn't know anymore. (laughs) No, if you ask him, he says, I don't even know anymore. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I know, but, uh, the important part of the story it was it was James L. Brooks who created the critic, and James L. Brooks you know wrote the press on it that he was involved in The Simpsons when he created the critic, moved it to ABC, moved to ABC to create the critic, and the critic to, to say the word flopped would be polite. It it, it flopped badly. It did. It, it flopped badly. So what happened was James L. Brooks came to Fox. 
you know, on his hands and knees begging, saying, please, guys, please, guys, please, guys, pick up the critic. Please pick him up. I need a season two. Please give me a season two. Please, 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 please. And then they said, okay. And then he says, while, while I'm down here groveling, doing favors, can you please, please, please have a crossover with The Simpsons so I can get some more popularity? Please, please, please. And they said, okay. And Matt Groening refused to have his name on this, that Simpsons episode. And he wrote in that that line where he, the television says, coming up next is Simpsons, you know, the, uh, the Flintstones beat the Jetsons. And Bart says, uh-oh, I smell another hackneyed cartoon crossover. <laughs> yes and nowadays that that joke is is almost as obscure as the uh dinosaur joke. joke yeah because everyone's well i guess people still remember the critic but it, it's it's definitely not of the caliber of the of the simpsons at all i mean i would give family guy far more credit than the, than the critic although to be fair to the critic uh it was on abc and fox and both networks are Kind of notorious for sabotaging their uh, their primetime animated cartoons. I mean, ABC totally screwed over the the totally screwed over Clerks. That's true, but they did. They actually gave lots of press to the critic, yeah. and they gave it a good slot, at least for the first half of the season. It wasn't performing well. That's when they moved it to the to the to the dead times. But because they gave it a shit ton of press, Neil. Okay. Because they're like coming from one of the creators of The Simpsons. No, they, they really did. The critic. Yeah, and part of part of me, I'm I'm like a little bit okay with it because uh, because I think Groening, Groening, Groening. Uh, Groening. he uh, he sort of softened his heart to Jay Sherman himself, mm-hmm. included several cameos of him giving John Lovett some extra work that we appreciate him getting. Yeah. So. So, like I said, uh, Matt himself softened his heart a little bit to it. But I totally respect him and agree with him on his stand. Mm-hmm. Because he outright said, he told the press, I don't see why my show has to be used as a vehicle for Brooks's failed show. Right. And I agree with him. So, how do you feel about this, Neil? Uh, I can understand where Matt's coming from. I don't think it was necessarily necessarily a bad episode, but... Yeah, I can kind of see where he he got upset with his cartoon being used for someone else's purpose, and that's not really the cartoon he wanted to make. Well, it, it'd be like if someone telling you, "Hey, Neil, with your Dawson comic, you have to include, say, uh, redacted for a couple of issues." <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, that would be a no. <laughs> and Name redacted has to be the star of those episodes of those of those issues. <laughs> that would definitely be no. So as 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 I put it, it's you know it's that's how Matt felt. Matt felt like his baby was being molested. So I, I agree with him. Of course, now he's having his baby crossover with Family Guy. I and... think by that point, his he thinks his baby's in college, and he doesn't really care what his baby does anymore. His baby's experimenting, you know, trying new things, <laughs> twerking it. But back then, The Simpsons was fairly new. It was, it yeah. was, it was, it was like, it was like year, year four or five, I think. Mm-hmm. It was, it was still, it was still in, in the prime of its life. Right. The best year still happening, and and he 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 saw it as this is a waste of animation costs where we could do a real another really good episode, and yeah, that, that's just why I agree with him. It's uh, but let's move on. 
Yeah. So, uh, Neil, of course, has one of the mega animation crossovers here. Uh, Who Framed Roger Ram- Ra- Rabbit? Not Ramjet. <laughs> Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I would pay to see that. <laughs> That was a purposeful slip too. So okay. I... <laughs> yeah, this was the holy shit crossover of all time. It was like, what do you mean Mickey Mouse is gonna be in the same scene with Bugs Bunny? Same cell. What do you mean Daffy and Donald are gonna be in the same scene? Holy shit! And then Donald calls Daffy a racial. No, slip. he didn't. <laughs> God. And it, no, it kind of it kind of pains me like who didn't make it into this because they were going to have the Fleischer Superman in this. They're going to have Mighty Mouse in it. Uh, there was actually a scene deleted that had uh, Hazel the Witch. Wow. Uh, yeah, Tom and Jerry were supposed to be in this. But, yeah, who, who actually made it in, it was still amazing. It was uh, – Well, uh, they still was... had to let – a lot of stars had to align just to get just to get Warner Brothers and Disney to sit at the table and play nice. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, ironically, it would be easier and harder at the same time because Warner owns so much of that movie now. It's like, yeah, all all the all the MGM characters are theirs, all the all the uh, Looney Tunes characters are there, the DC characters are theirs, but still, Disney and Disney and Warner don't exactly play nice. No, they don't. But yeah. uh, at the same time, you know, this was one of Zemeckis' earlier movies and one of his best mm-hmm. back when he you know, went to traditional animation versus that god-awful weird shit he does now. Oh, yeah. Have you tried watching Mars Needs Moms? It's it's it's, it's actually painful. No. no it's I that, weird, it's that weird motion capture shit that he should stop doing! Yeah, I haven't seen it. But uh. it's, uh, it's... No, this movie's fantastic for, for animation aficionados and, and just casual animation goers alike because you can watch it and every time you learn a little bit more about cartoons and you watch it again, you'll start spotting shit you didn't notice. Yeah, there are tons of in-jokes in this cartoon. In this movie, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, get one of the DVDs with behind-the-scenes features. I love those behind-the-scenes features. Yeah. yeah, last, not the last appearance of Mel Blanc, but the last major appearance of Mel Blanc. Yeah. I mean, this. I think this was one of the very last times he even even did the Warner Brothers characters. And <laughs> yes, they they had to, and and there's lots of compromises between Disney and uh, Warner Brothers in here. Like Mickey Mouse and and uh, Bugs Bunny had to be on exactly the same number of animation cells, exactly the yeah. same number of animation cells. Which is so petty, but you know that's how they got it done. And and Porky got to say that's all, folks, and then Tinkerbell got to do the magic wand. Yeah, Eisner Eisner heard about. The, the movie ending with Porky, and he, he uh, I don't know if he threw a fit, but he, he definitely kind of raised an eyebrow at, at the at the writers and was like, you're ending the movie with Porky Pig. And so they had to throw in Tinkerbell at the very end. <laughs> Lots of compromises. Lots of them. And it's, it, it's like, it almost got to the point where I was, you know, it's like, are they going to end it like five or six times with, with five, you know, like on top of each other trying to... Yeah. You know, it's not like, I'm ending, I'm ending, I'm ending, rabbit season, duck season. Well, I think it's it's good that they knew that they had to end with Porky Pig. I mean, that's the most iconic uh, cartoon ending of that era. So, of course, he had to be the one to do it. Yes. But, yeah, I can understand <laughs> Eisner getting a little upset about that. I heard it was a little bit more than just a little. Well, we'll never know for sure, but... Ask Zemeckis, he'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> 
And then they'll tell you about his great new motion capture software, and then that's when you have to walk away. Oh, God. You have to say, what happened to you, man? You you, you did Back to the Future. Yeah, that movie, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, was like an homage to Tex Avery. That's what I think of it as. It's like Tex Avery the movie. And it's actually based off of a kind of okay book. I've never called, read the book. Who Censored Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Where Which it's he was about... Like, he was a comic strip character. Yeah, it's it's still is. Yeah, and I, and the and the thing is, Zemeckis actually wanted wants to do a sequel, but the rights stars have not aligned again. He wants yeah. to do a sequel where it's revealed that the Roger Rabbit's father is Bugs Bunny. Yes, and yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. It was going to be set in the 40s, so there's going to be lots of 40s animation references, and they're going to like cast a guy to play a young Chuck Jones and stuff. So it could have worked. Yeah. I don't know. It's um, It wasn't going to be motion capture, so that's where Zemeckis shines is when he does animation that's not motion capture. Right. <laughs> but let's move on to one of the most turtle-tastic uh, crossovers ever. Turtles not, Forever. Not- not Ninja Turtles meet the Power Rangers. <laughs> I got I got my feelings on that too. <laughs> yeah, as as much as Turtles meet the Power Rangers is a craptastic abomination, Turtles Forever is a shining beacon of light. Yes, it's Turtles Forever is a love letter to the O3 series, the Mirage comics, and the eighty and seven series at once. Yes. And, you know, I think I've said it several times on this show, I am sick and tired of people shitting on Turtles Forever because, oh, the 87 were not... Yes, they were that goofy. Shut up. And I'm not going to bring that up again in this episode, but like I said, I just love this because they painstakingly recreated the 87 look and feel down to the color palette, the character designs. It's like someone went to Korea, you know, in these in the old animation studios and dug up all the old character designs and handed them off to the new right. animators down the road in Korea saying, yeah. here, do this and, again. And the only inconsistency I can actually point out is the fact that they they didn't animate as badly as Acom did. But it, and also, and also, people also talk about the voices, but the voices are almost—they're pretty good. Spot that, on. That guy who did Raphael was doing a pretty spot on Rob Paulson. And and the guy doing Leo sounded a lot like him. Yeah, like and, like a lo- not perfect, but a lot like Ken Clark. Yeah, the Donatello guy—he didn't quite sound like the like the, the tricks bunny. <laughs> I keep wanting to say tricks, but it's not. It's it's quick. the quick bunny. Yeah, it's the quick bunny. Yeah, that always trips me up. It's like tricks and Twix. No, and I'm mixing it up with the candy bar. Well, it, well yeah. tricks and quick. Well, what you should do is get a bowl of tricks and fill it up with quick. Oh my god. <laughs> Chocolatey cord balls. Oh, that. Oh, it's like <laughs> fruit and chocolate. It's like eating fruity and cocoa pebbles at the same time. <laughs> trying to picture that now but uh, uh but no this no turtles forever is one of my favorite crossovers because it shows the right way of doing it and and one thing you will notice is when they show the wall of all turtles they don't show the the uh live action Savon yeah. turtles yes so uh, so eastman and laird have officially jettisoned that and uh yeah. because I, I think part of it is do we really want turtles that cross over with power rangers i mean that sort of no. damages our brand 
Yeah, it does. And uh, yeah, that, that, that Power Rangers Turtles crossover is just, it's the, one of the weirdest things ever because that was actually, tur- that was actually uh, Power Rangers in space. And that was actually one, the, you know, the last of the Zordon era Power Rangers uh-huh. it was that they were actually playing totally serious and straight. You know, I saw a scene from that like just a couple of days ago, and it was funny because they meet for the first time, and the turtles are like, "Wow, I didn't know the Power Rangers are real." And I was like, "Wait, what? I, wasn't Angel Grove getting destroyed like on a weekly basis? You, you didn't know that? <laughs> like, you didn't see the news? <laughs> it's like, how did you not know that these guys existed in the same universe?" Like the giant ass uh, dinosaur yeah. robots. Yeah, there are giant dinosaur robots in this in this West Coast city, and and the turtles being on the other side of the country never knew they existed, because well, apparently Neil, I... television and the internet don't exist in that universe. Well, well, Neil, to be fair, you know, there's lots of people in California I don't think are real. Slash being one of them. Slash doesn't live in California. I don't know where he lives. He lives in our hearts now. Okay. But uh, no, it's like I said, it's it's one of the funniest things to me because Power Rangers in space is the is like the big last hurrah where Saban was like, if we're going to end Power Rangers, we're going to end it on a high note. Where we're going to have you know all grim dark shit. You know, Zordon's killed in the final episode. This is the end. This is the end of our force continuity trying to string Super Sentai into one continuity. It was never meant to do that. Mm-hmm. And Really, I think it was just Tony Oliver bringing his stuff over from Robotech and being like, no, it's got to all fit together in one continuity. And like I said, to, to me, it's just so funny that that here it is, all grim, dark and shit, and then, and then like – one promo shows, and then the, they team up with the with the Ninja Turtles. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> Logical disconnect. <laughs> yes, and it's it's actually quite funny to me now because it because it's another case of uh, because the live action Ninja Turtles was failing badly. And they were like, oh shit, quick, we need to we need to do a ratings injection. Well, we're all we're all just shooting in these cheap sound stages right next to each other. Why won't we just, you know, cross over? Yeah. And then somebody got some sort of injection. <laughs> Although I don't know who who really got fucked because it was like the turtles are failing and so they had to fuck over the Power Rangers. But the Power Rangers sort of fucked over the turtles at the same time by being in the same universe with I don't know. Well, it, well, the it, thing, the thing is, like I said, <clears throat> In Space was a big gamble to the franchise because Power Rangers was ha- facing diminishing returns. This was their, this was their huge her- last hurrah, grim, dark, everything's at stake. Zordon's killed in the final episode. You know, Power Rangers yeah. is over after this, and holy shit, look at the ratings! Oh my god, look at the ratings! This actually worked. We need to do another Power Rangers. <laughs> Oh, and then that's when Power Rangers finally adopted the Super Sentai mindset of each season its own self-contained show, <laughs> versus doing this forced continuity bullshit that uh, that doesn't work. Yeah. <sighs> but enough about Power Rangers. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about Turtles Forever. The voice acting is fantastic. I mean, yeah. 
he wasn't, you know, the Shredder wasn't Uncle Phil. He wasn't even close to Uncle Phil, but he was still hilarious. Yeah, he was still pretty good. He was hilarious because he was talking about Giggle Ray. Yeah. And Bebop and Rocksteady, I don't know who did the voices in that cartoon, but they did it pretty spot on as well. Yes. So, same with the Krang. Yeah, Krang was pretty good. They are all pretty good. Yeah, th- this this show gets shit on, and I think it's not fair. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> let's talk about... Uh, you know, Lupin the Third, Detective Conan. We're gonna bring this up more in depth. Yeah. But what I love about the Lupin characters is they pretty much fit with any crossover because they're just so they're just wonderful characters. I mean, I I love all the Lupin characters. They're they're just wonderful characters. Right. I, you know, especially Zenigata. I love Zenigata. Oh yeah. But I think I said this before, but this movie. It was a good movie. I did like it, but it felt it definitely felt like uh, just a regular Detective Conan movie or episode with the Lupin characters mixed in. But they did have Fujiko. Yeah, they did have Fujiko, and it it's was a win. A really, it was a really good movie. But yeah, it was it was basically if you're a Detective Conan fan, you'll be right at home. If you're a Lupin fan, you'll be like, I'm watching a Detective Conan movie, <laughs> and Lupin's in it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll get to this. We're gonna put both of these series in the same episode because they they kind of go together, and this movie just kind of sealed the deal as far as that goes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's time for intermission, boys and girls. Movie Week in Review is the Geekcast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast. Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts. They also bring in co-hosts at times. If you are a movie buff, listen to M-Wire only on geekcastradio.com. Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Mike. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the Internet's number one and longest-running G.I. Joe podcast, What's on Joe Mind? It's Joe news, reviews, and interviews like you've never heard them before, delivered right to your MP3 player. Our guests include Jason Marsden, Kevin Michael Richardson, and Matt Yang King from G.I. Joe Renegades, Larry Hama, Robert Atkins, and John Barber from IDW Publishing, and many more from around the online Joe community. Yeah, it's guys talking about Joe. Think of it as Joe talk meets sports talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right, and we pay again. Come on, Chuck. We're just kidding, kinda. Sometimes Chuck makes fun of himself. Right, and we... Okay, seriously, this is just getting ridiculous now. It's What's on Joe Mind every week on the GeekCast Radio Network, InsidePulse.com, Stitcher Smart Radio, and iTunes. Download and listen today. I suppose I still can't say something about Transformers, can I? Good No. What about sports? Uh, that sounds yeah, good. Yeah, that's all right. Tooncast is dedicated to the cartoons we grew up with. 100 episodes and more make up one of the GCRN's most popular podcasts. Join hosts TFG and Mike, Optimus Solo, Terror the Rising Star, and tons of guest hosts. We also have voice actor and writer interviews. Tune in to Tooncast as we look back on the cartoons that defined us as geeks. You can find Tooncast on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Tune in. And now back to the show. Now we're gonna get out the shit shovel. Yes, it's uh, go for uh, the the Jimmy Timmy Power Hour. And, and the thing is, this I actually like Jimmy Neutron. Yeah. Because because Jimmy Neutron, it, it's one of the boy genius type shows, and uh, yeah, it's it's blatantly Dexter's Laboratory, but you know, but a little more heart because uh, Jimmy actually had friends. Yes. And the friends actually have their own episodes and characters and stuff like that. And yeah. and, 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 and the, 
what what makes Jimmy and his friends work isn't really the writing. Right. It's the voice acting behind the characters. Right. Because he has one friend that, who has a really weird voice like this and another one that's a neurotic nerd. Yeah. And, and, and th- really that likes llamas. Yes. Yes. It, it's the voice acting and, and the neurotic characters that of, of his friends that makes the show interesting. Mm-hmm. And without that, the, uh, without that, it's, it, it just doesn't, uh, it just doesn't have the same punch. You know, it's, 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 it's like what you always say, Neil, it's, you know, you can get away with shitty writing if you have interesting characters. Mm-hmm. And that's what really makes, uh, that's what really makes uh, Jimmy Neutron work. And then there's Fairly Odd Parents. Yeah. Now, I will say that I, I do still kind of like Fairly Odd Parents, especially the earlier episodes. I can point to the point in time where it started to go wrong, and that's they had the the one where they were all superheroes and all the bullies were all the bad guys. And it was the, it was the first of many anti-bully uh, cartoons made by Butch Hartman. Well, it's not anti-bully as much as it's it's just a, it's just high school revenge fantasy because Butch Hartman can't go over the fact that he got too, went too many swirlies as a kid. <laughs> yeah, he gets a little hung up on that. Okay, he gets because, a lot hung up on that. Yeah, it, it it it's kind of funny. Whenever you have a Jimmy Timmy Power Hour, it's obvious the Jimmy Neutron staff is carrying the Timmy staff. It's it, it it's 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 almost like the the Jimmy Neutron staff turns and says, "Hey, hey, you want to give a hand hand for a while? This is starting to get a little heavy." And the and the and the and, the, uh, and, and Butch is like, "No, you got it. You, no, you got it. It's fine. No, no." <laughs> and 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 that's the thing, you know. It's it's uh, t- you know, uh, fairly odd parents is is written like the creator has a persecution complex because he does have a persecution complex. I, I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's about you know, the, the thing is, it's not done like an adorable loser kind of way, like Charlie Brown is, because Charlie Brown never wins, but he's like the adorable loser you care about because he doesn't get to win. You know, uh, Fairly Odd Parents is different because Timmy Turner is the loser, but he has magical Deuce Ex Machina, Fairly Odd Parents that lets him win. Right. And. It's it's a lot more than that because because uh, Charlie Brown it's like you can tell that when he grows up he's gonna be a much better person because he lost because he learned how to suck it up. When he finally realizes that Peppermint Patty loves him and marries her. I always thought it was weird that he was so blind to that. Yeah, you know I was blind to it too until I hit about like twelve twelve or thirteen and started to understand girls more. I'm like, wait a minute. Because she keeps she's on, totally crushing on him. Yeah, because she keeps on asking if, if if he you know says, "Hey Chuck, do you like tough girls and stuff like that?" Yeah, I'm like, she totally dicks him. Yeah, and he's blowing it. <laughs> but but yeah, it's uh, like you know back back to the Jimmy Timmy Power Hour. It's 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 so sad because because Jimmy Neutron is the stronger of the two franchises by a large amount, and. And you know, I I have no sympathy to the Timmy Turner character. I have no sympathy to the cartoonized, uh, neglectful parents because it's not just regular parents; they're ne- they're cartoonish, neglectful parents. But they're also kind of bumbling idiots. So. I I know it's it also and also they actually have a, a Superman pastiche named the Crimson Chin. Yeah. And they had Adam West as Catman. Yeah. And it's Which, like uh, a side note. Uh, uh, I don't know if we should count this, but uh, Adam West was. Played himself in uh, in Fairly Odd Parents and also played himself in 
in uh, in Family Guy. So do we count that as a crossover? No. no. <laughs> I think. And he also happened... played himself in in uh, 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 Johnny Bravo. He also played himself in Return to the Batcave. Ah, okay. So he's kind of like he. If you really wanted to play loose with this, you could kind of count him as like the Hector Ramirez of the 21st century. This is not going to become another Tommy Westville universe. Okay. Well, Scooby Doo comes kind of close. We'll get to him. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to we'll get to him. It's uh, it's uh, <laughs> but uh, like I like I said, you know, back to the point. You know, Fairly Odd Parents. I do not like this franchise at all. I have no sympathy to this franchise. It's a uh, uh, it like I said, everything's so cartoonish. You know, Vicky the babysitter is a cartoonish is a cartoonish character that you know they actually tease. Oh, we're going to have development. She's going to not be so being the Timmy. Oh wait, she reverts back because all of a sudden it's not that bad anymore. It, it right. it's 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 a cartoonish bullies have no feelings kind of thing that uh, because the, the hardest the hardest thing is to write a bully to be a person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, the fucking shitty Amazing Spider-Man movie did that. <laughs> because it's like it's like Flash Thompson wandered off and was like in a whole movie where he got character development. <laughs> yeah, he was like, I'm like, wow, I'm really sympathetic to this minor character in this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why, why can't we do this? Why can't we do this with our main character? <laughs> Because he has like the douchiest hair, but hairdo ever. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, one of the uh, one of the times that the you know Animaniacs actually referenced this. Daffy Duck meets the Groovy Ghoulies. Uh, Animaniacs referenced this when they made a joke about uh, about during the seventies and eighties, uh, Mister Plots sold the Warners, you yeah. know, leased them to different animation studios for money. Oh, yes. One of the best episodes ever. Yes. About one of the worst animated movies ever. Oh, man. Daffy Duck meets the Groovy Ghoulies is an abomination. Absolute wretched abomination. One of the worst uses of Mel Blanc's voice talents. Yeah, it was... In some cases, they, they sped up his voice too much, and in some cases, not enough. I mean, Daffy Duck sounded like he was sucking on helium. Porky Pig sounded sounded like he was way too low. And oddly enough, there's no Bugs Bunny in this. But well, they couldn't sell Bugs. Yeah, they're like, no, we're not giving Bugs to to fucking filmation. <laughs> and like I said, like I said, Anime X made a wonderful reference to this in in one episode about lending to. The Warners to different animation studios, and they referenced they referenced filmation several times in this episode. I was like, "Wow, they got away with this!" Right. Yeah, and they <laughs> primarily made fun of Fat Albert, but <laughs> Fat Albert was like the the softest target they could have chosen. I mean, no, they they hit some other filmation targets. Yeah, they did, but they were definitely taking some shots of filmation or at, at Fat Albert, I should say. Yes. Neil, why do you have Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue on this list? Because it is a crossover. We talked about this already. I know, but it it is a crossover. It should at least get a mention here. 
Well, that was it. Another misuse of Warner Brothers characters, along with Smurfs, Winnie the Pooh, Michelangelo, it, the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> they could only get one of the voices. Yeah, Muppet Babies. And, uh, oh, Jim, if you were only alive, you could have stopped this. I think he was alive, because it's my, it's my understanding that uh, Muppet Baby, Babies was on the air as long as he was alive, and the moment he was dead, that show was also dead. Fuck. I mean, it might have gone on for one more season, but it was pretty much canceled uh, in the wake of his death. So he probably lived to see this. Now we know what killed him. It was this. But uh, let's see here. The fin- finale of Space Ghost? Yeah, this was, I only saw this once. And basically uh, what happened is Hanna-Barbera had a lot of these, like, uh, these serialized action cartoons kind of a little bit before Johnny Quest. It was uh, it was Space Ghost, uh, Moby Dick, and the Mighty Mitor, the Herculoids, which we've all heard of, and then Shazam, which I've never heard of before. And what happened is, as as this story was being played out over multiple episodes, uh, he was running into all these other characters. So basically, what what it says is that Herculoids and Space Ghost happen in the same universe, and that's that's all I really remember from the episode. I think all the villains are in that in that episode too, but I. I don't remember what the plot was. Wasn't there also a Hanna-Barbera crossover that had like Astro from the Jetsons as like a sidekick of a space superhero for a while? Yeah, I think so. I think it was like one of those weird race cartoons. They had like a, a race in space cartoon or something. And I think that that's what it was. Uh, yeah. yeah. It was like wacky races, except they forgot how to be funny. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So here we have the cartoon cartoons crossovers. There were lots of them. Yeah, there there's so many that God, I got to pull up the the article again. But uh, actually, the like, funniest the funniest thing is the Billy and Mandy uh, Kids Next Door crossover actually has Ed and Eddie in the opening. Right. Which was hilarious because it's 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 uh it's one of those things where you know you know Cartoon Network played a lot more fast and loose with these crossovers. And I think that's what made them work better because you never really get the sense that any of these cartoons were struggling for ratings. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, Billy and Mandy, I, Billy and Mandy was a runway hit. Right. And, and so was Powerpuff Girls, Foster's Home for Imaginary Kids. Uh, and uh, Ed and Eddie last long enough to, to get a cartoon movie. So so these were nev- these were never franchises that were that you ever had the sense that there's blood in the water. Right. So when they crossed over it was because, oh, we're just having some goofy fun now. Yeah. And there were a ton of these. I mean, uh the Justice Friends showed up in an episode of Powerpuff Girls. Yes. Be. Um yeah. The Gandhi McCracken universe. Yeah, there was a I think Mandy showed up in Foster's Home for Man- Imaginary Friends at one point. Um, They've actually Ed and Eddie showed up in Foster's as well. Ah, okay. And, and uh, Dexter's Lab. Uh, Dexter, who didn't? Uh, oh yeah, it was Dynomut. Di- Dexter's Lab crossover with Dynomut. Yeah, that was. Oh my god. That was but, an interesting episode. It was a little much, but yeah. But at least, at least they brought back uh, what's his name. Yeah, and I know who you're talking about, and I'm I'm totally blanking out his name. Gary Owens. Gary Owens, yeah. I'm Gary Owens. Yeah, that sounds a little more to Kai there than. Well. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm it's. Mel a, Blank. 
But like I said, it's that's that's the sense I get from the the cartoon cartoons crossovers that there was never this blood in the water. Oh, holy shit! We need some ratings. We need to pump up the ratings. We need to save this show. Let's cross over. You never get that sense from these crossovers. You know? Yeah, what I mean? it was more done with a with a smile and a wink, and you know they they kind of walk in, do their catchphrase, and walk away. Well, I think it was a little bit more than that because now you're making it sound like a that guy with the glasses crossover. Oh God, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it is more than that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Of course! And at no point did they all get together and do a movie where they fight each other. <laughs> no, but they did do a video game. Oh, no! No, 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 they did a video game. What's really funny to me about the video game is this. It's uh, There was a, there was an artist on DeviantArt named uh, Bleedman. Yeah. That yeah. did this mega, mega cartoon cartoons crossover comic that was all grimdark and shit. Yeah. And uh, and apparently, you know, Bleedman's a pedophile or something. I don't know. There's some drama behind that. I don't. I don't give a fuck. But you know, it's like you're watching Bleedman draw of this art, and his his art's pretty good. Yeah. And it's like this really highly stylized version of the cartoon cartoon style. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like uh, it, it's 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 like Gendy and the Craig McCracken style on steroids. Yeah. And. And what happened was, he, here's the style. He has all all these cartoon cartoons characters: Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Lab, you know, Kids Next Door, Megas XLR, and all these shows all together. And and you're like, oh yeah, this is great, great job. And then cartoon, you know, and then Cartoon Network's like, oh, here's this video game that uses an art style that you might think is a little familiar. Wink. And Bleeman got no money. And wow. that's what happens. That's what happens when you use copyright characters to do your own thing. So no, here's a lesson stuck. for you kids. Well, he's lucky he didn't get a cease and desist. I mean, some of the early Powerpuff uh, Daujin Dow, uh, comics are pretty good, but then it kind of went off into a weird territory, and I'm, I was like, wow, I'm surprised Cartoon Network isn't sending him a cease and desist. Well, like I said, there was this mega crossover video game that yeah. is an art style very similar to his. Yeah, but he, he gets yeah. a little weird with, with the Powerpuff Girls. Uh because he's a pedophile, but uh, but uh, the opinions of Ben Carver do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Neil Purcell, and therefore uh, send your anti-defamation letter to him and not me. Oh, uh, well, come on! Neil. I'm not going to call him anything. But uh, <laughs> the the point remains, you know, Neil is, Neil and I agree with this this that this is why if you want to create something, you create something. Because when, when, once you're on the back of something else, if they use any of your ideas, you know, tough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Neil, do you, want to, do, you, do you want to put any emphasis on that or did I pretty much sum it up? Pretty much. I mean, I don't, I don't disrespect people who, who do fan works like that. I mean, some, some fan works are pretty good. And I think Bleedman does pretty good art, but yeah, he gets a little... <laughs> But but do you agree that it's like when 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 that happened with Cartoon Network, you're like not surprised, nope. Yeah, not, not surprised. surprised. And he got no money. He was like producing this fan work that made him no money, and nothing happened. Although all things considered, he, who's that? Who's that one Japanese artist that? Uh, oh, you're not gonna know what I'm talking about. The guy who does the the covers to uh, to uh, Growl Answer and that other. Strategy RPG. He also does porn, and he still he still works in in the industry. I I wonder if there if there's like 
a place for people like that in America, where they can be a be a <laughs> a guy who who draws porn and yet still somehow does cartoons for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen what Bruce Tim did for Playboy? Okay, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Comment redacted. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's uh, let's move on to this list. Uh, we of course brought up the Simpsons fa- uh, Simpsons uh, crossover with uh, with the critic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and uh, Neil found out that the Simpsons and Family Guy are crossing over, and yeah, and uh, the the cast of Futurama will also be appearing on the Simpsons next season. They already had Bender show up once. Yeah, and Bender showed up on an episode of Family Guy, and yeah, this time it's going to be the whole cast showing up on Simpsons for some well, reason. Well, actually, and I don't, I don't know if they're going to be yellow, but actually, Futurama did have it have the cast did have at least two characters from uh, from uh, Adventure Time show up. Ah, okay, but we'll see what they do. I mean, the Simpsons have to be yellow. That's it. That's just a rule. Yeah, and yeah, there's there's a ton of crossovers around the simpsons i mean uh uh ren and stimpy showed up on the simpsons but i'm pretty sure it was after john k left because i don't think he would have allowed that to happen yeah i, I love that 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 was just a, that was just a random miss you know random you know moment there but it was awesome yeah and uh homer showed up in an episode of Duckman randomly homer showed up in, in in an episode of uh of family guy as well yeah, yeah, he uh they did they did the uh the gag from the opening where uh the car pulls in the garage and Homer starts to run. Only he gets run over and then uh Peter says something like, Who the hell was that? you know. And and then there was an episode of uh of uh The Simpsons where where it was called the <laughs> Italian yeah, yeah, Italian Bob and it showed Peter Griffin plagiarismo plagiarist and then showed uh st- you know stan from uh from american dad it says plagiarist of a plagiarist although my favorite my favorite uh family guy sort of crossover happened with futurama actually uh, my it favorite... was in no well, let me finish it it was in it was in the movie uh vendor's big score uh the the continuity duplicate of uh of fry He's in his upstairs apartment and he's nailing up a, a calendar to the wall and it says, it's a Family Guy calendar. And it says twelve laughs a year. <laughs> actually, actually, one of my favorite digs was, uh, well, there were so many. It's one of my favorite Family Guy digs was actually in South Park, where where they act, Cartoon Wars was the name of the episode, where they actually had uh, they showed like five minutes of a Family Guy episode as per uh, Trey and. Yeah, as per as per uh, Tr- Matt and Trey, and uh, and basically it it was it was uh, basically Peter Griffin talking about I invited my old high school sweetheart for dinner, and they think and there's like that's bad, and, and Peter's like if you think that's bad, that's not as bad as the one time, and they they all like did like ten flashbacks in a row, mm-hmm. and they're like oh what were we talking about? Oh yes, I invited my. And they had to remind themselves what they were talking about. Because they they got they got grassed and flashbacked so yeah. often, yeah. and that's the origin of the manatee joke, right? Yes, yes. Which which Seth MacFarlane adopted because he didn't know they they were riffing on him. He's like, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. It's a manatee joke, and in the commentaries they call them manatee jokes now. <laughs> oh boy, uh, Seth really strikes me as the kind of man that 
he tells a joke once, and if he gets laughs, he wants to tell it again and again and again. That's why he uses the same. He used that Philadelphia AIDS joke like five times. Oh yeah. Uh, well, to be fair, it only officially aired once, but yeah, it was it was in his student film. Then it was in the it was in the first pilot for the for the for Family Guy, and then it, was it was in Larry in, and Steve, and then it was in Family Guy. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Well, Larry and Steve was the was the uh, the student film. No, there was also Larry and Steve uh, pilot proper pilot yeah but that was that was done for cartoon network and that was a totally different story but there was also he also did the british you know drive-by joke you know drive-by argument joke in the same thing i mean it was like yeah. delarian's steve student film was pretty much all all the manatee jokes were the same as the family guy pilot yeah it had it had the star trek joke from the first episode it it had it had the one where they're where they're going down to the planet and he picks up bones spock and ensign skippy or something like that yeah and skippy goes oh shit yeah yeah (laughs) which you know i'll i'll give seth some credit he he did have a sense a good sense of humor at one time and then i think he lost it somewhere in the process of coming back because i don't know the the fourth season it was still kind of funny but i was i felt myself going And then it got to the ups. I can tell you where Family Guy just wore thin on me. It was, it was in the scene where Brian and Stewie are in a bar, and Stewie's singing "Suicide Is Painless," and it's it's just like <laughs> it was like a getting, torture room. It's like getting stabbed in the eye. I'm like, oh my god, why am I watching this? This is not funny. What <laughs> I've been under some sort of trance. What is this? It's like my my eyes kind of fluttered and I came out of it, and I'm like. Oh my God! This is this is shit. And then Neil woke up naked in a tube of of uh, yellow goo, wondering, oh no, <laughs> wondering if he picked the right pill and. <laughs> God damn it! Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see what's next on this list. Oh God! Uh, yeah, the I Martin didn't. Mis- I didn't realize that this even existed until I went. I saw it. You saw it. it. The Martin Mystery Totally Spies crossover. You know what the fetish is in this episode? Uh, I'm going to guess uh, Teenage Girls. Yeti Girls is the fetish for this episode. Yeti <laughs> I like how every episode has its own fetish. The yeah. fetish for this episode is... No, yeah, that, that, inflation! Totally Spies is nothing but fetishes. Non-stop fetishes. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and the creator gets indignant whenever anyone draws the girls looking remotely sexual on DeviantArt. But they're already sexual. I don't understand. <laughs> He's French, damn it. I mean, all those – they're super cute. They're all, like, fit, and they're wearing tight-fitting clothing. My God, if that's not sexual, I don't know what is. Well, then he has all these fetish transformations happen to them. Yeah. You know, they turn into cat girls and inflation and thunder thighs and 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 yeti girls and and yeti girls. I Wait, don't did, know. Did they, did, by yeti, do you mean they turn furry? It's on YouTube. <laughs> You're not even going to tell me. <laughs> there are some things man was not meant to see. <sighs> okay, speaking of things man wasn't meant to see, there are the uh, there are the Hanna Barbera crossovers. Yeah. We're just going to throw this under the category of Scooby-Doo, because Scooby-Doo is the The new Scooby movies. Scooby-Doo is the master of the crossover. I mean, he is 
He is the cartoon equivalent of Tommy Westfall. Yes. Yeah. He he has crossed over with. You could easily plug him into the the Tommy Westfall universe because he's he's crossed over with someone on there. I know. He Let's did. See. He's met he's met Gary Coleman. He's no, met... actually, actually, he is in the Scooby Doo is in the in the Tommy Westfall universe. Oh Jesus Christ! Okay, so they covered that base already. Yes. He's met Sonny and Cher. Yes. Which connects him to. <laughs> See, I used to have like a parody of this, and it's gone now. But it used to be like a parody of like the the six degrees of Scooby Doo, and it, I had like Scooby Doo connected to Cher, connected to Beavis and Butthead. And it went like every which way. It was really complex, but it was, it's true. He's, he's really this like master crossover character. You know, he's met Johnny Bravo. He's met, uh, that, which is a fantastic crossover. Yeah, that's a great crossover. With all the original voices. He's met the Globetrotters. He's met, he's met like some of the weirdest, most obscure Hanna-Barbera characters too, like Genie. Yeah. And, uh. He he met the original Globetrotter characters, not Super Globetrotters, but the Globetrotters that are currently still under the ownership of CBS. He met Batman and Robin. Yeah, he met Batman and Robin, which I don't know if that puts him in the uh, in the Adam West universe. He met he met Blue Falcon and Dynamut. Yes. So that well, means that means Blue Falcon and Dynamut exist in the same universe as Batman and Robin. Yeah. Which, if it's the Adam West Batman, does that mean that it also ties into the the uh, the the Super the, Friends as well? And uh, and Green Hornet. Yes, he meets Green Hornet. Green Hornet, which also crossed over with Adam West Batman. Well, I'm just saying. Wise. I'm just saying by proxy. I I don't think he actually met Green Hornet, but he met Batman, who also met Green Hornet. Yes. So it's a proxy thing. Yes. The, yeah. the real Green Hornet, not the shitty Seth Rogen thing. Yeah. The real Green Hornet, where, where, where you know, there's Bruce Lee and it's awesome shit. Yeah, and of course, there's also Laugh Olympics, which connects him to uh, Hagen, to the, Heavens to, to Megatroid. Heavens to Megatroid connects him to uh, the Flintstones. It connects him to Yogi Bear, and uh, oh god, it connects him to uh, Yogi's Ark Lark. Yes. So all the Ark friends are connected to Scooby Doo. Um. Yeah, there's there's pain involved. There's lots of lots of pain. I mean, if if you really want to stretch it, you can get it into anime. I mean, it it stretches pretty far. Scooby Doo has met so many so many other characters. He's been in so many crossovers that he's the Kevin Bacon of animation. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> By the way, people, you can actually type in type in what is. And then the actor's name, bacon number, in Google, and it will tell you the per- the actor's bacon number. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm, algorithm I'm not... for that. Yeah, name an actor, Neil. I'll do it right now. Okay. Um, we'll what is Clint that. Eastwood's bacon number? It's one. Clint Eastwood and Kevin Bacon appeared in Eastwood Directs The Untold Story. Ah, I see. You try it now. Just go into Google and type in what is and then an actor's bacon number. God, I'm trying to think of an actor's name and I it's losing it. We'll just say Frank Walker. Okay. Bacon number <laughs> two. Does it tell you the connections? Yeah. Frank Walker and William H. Macy appeared in Curious George. William H. Macy and Kevin Bacon appeared in Murder in the First. There you go. Yeah. See, I think a lot of it is going to be right there because Frank Walker has been in so many movies that 
you know, since he's like two away, that I think there's a lot of people who are going to be connected to Frank Welker. So, well, in then some, there in you some go. ways, the way this works is not as impressive as it as you might think, but still, it's it's pretty it's pretty funny. Okay, let's see here. Um, oh yeah, Scooby Doo well, met met the Three Stooges. He met uh, the regular Stooges, not the robotic Stooges. Yeah, unfortunately, it's he met uh, Curly Joe Dorita, not not Shem. Or Curly. Yeah, or Curly. He also you met have to, uh, you have to Laurel agree and Hardy. You have to be, agree that Curly's better than Curly Joe. You have to agree to that. Yeah, yeah. I don't hate Curly. I'm just saying that you know he's a, he's not subtle. He's just kind of a. But anyway, um, yeah. Laurel and Hardy is another example of a cartoon that Scooby Doo crossed over with. But they don't own the original cartoon anymore. Laurel and Hart the Laurel and Hardy cartoon is owned by uh, by the asshole who, who owns the Bozo uh, franchise. You know, it's really funny. Yeah, it's uh, there was actually a Laurel and Hardy reference in Futurama. Really? Yeah, there was a there was a species of aliens that uh, were were based off of Egypt, yeah. holding to the ancient aliens theory yeah. that taught the Egyptians how to. Uh, how to uh, how to make pyramids and mummify their dead to yeah. later frighten Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> and they actually showed like a hieroglyph showing a mummy chasing Laurel and Hardy. That's hilarious. And, and I, was, I, was, I was like, wait, did they actually? Yeah, they did. Wow, that that's that's a one percenter joke right there. <laughs> but it's a good joke. It is. So, Neil, take it away with the Sunbow universe. Okay. Well, before we even get started on this, I have a theory, and I admit this is like a fan theory, therefore it's it's arbitrary and, and kind of kind of apocryphal and nonsensical, but I have a theory that G.I. Joe in its entirety took place before the Transformers, which means that the movie happened and then and then uh, Operation Dragonfire and then Cobra went away and then the Transformers woke up. And the reason why I think this this is a good theory is because it explains why Marissa Fairborn is the age she is in season three. It kind of explains why the Pyramid of Darkness doesn't really affect the Transformers. I mean, that should have been like a major catastrophe in the Transformers. It explains why uh, why the uh, the Ultimate Doom did not do the same for the GI Joes. I mean, like at no point there are some major catastrophes in both cartoons, and at no point do they even like remotely uh, affect one another. But anyway, that's my theory, and it. And it works into, into Marissa Fairborn. And also works into two dinosaur-related episodes, which is uh, uh, the one called one in G.I. Joe called Primordial Plot, where uh, Cobra creates dinosaurs on this island. And, uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, it's, it's Jurassic Park uh, eight years before Jurassic Park, the movie, came out. And, yeah, Cobra creates, creates some dinosaurs, and the dinosaurs get left on this island, and then later the, the Transformers come along and they find this island full of dinosaurs, and it's the episode Dinobot Island. And there's some kind of slipperiness. I mean, there's there's like some sort of temporal thing going on. Is is it, is it like the episode that about in GI Joe about like a about like the uh, most dangerous man or something? Not 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 that, but where they show a uh, where where there's this there's this guy that's like a hunter and he has like Starscream as a trophy or something like that, or am I thinking something else? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that would be no. I think you're thinking of uh, that. There was like a there was like a Transformers episode. That's another one. I'm gonna bring it up next. But yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. The uh, 
Yeah, but anyway, the Transformers, Dinobot Island. Dinobot Island has some sort of uh, temporal power to it, so maybe it's not the same island, but still, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like an obvious crossover between the two. It seems to connect, but maybe it doesn't. But yeah, the the episode that you're thinking of from Transformers is uh, yeah, it's like a most dangerous game, most dangerous game type episode where Optimus Prime is going up against this big game hunter and and the reference to GI Joe is that they run into the to the October Guard, which uh. which is a team of Soviet GI Joe type characters in the GI Joe franchise. So and that, then there's yeah, Cold Slither. Yeah, Cold Slither. Cold Slither is only is only noteworthy because uh, it was the Cobra Band, but their music would appear in Transformers all the time, mostly because of jazz or, or Blaster playing their music. And then the ultimate one was Only Human, which is the one with uh, <coughs> yeah, with Cobra Commander as Old Snake, and Snake. not Snake. solid, not solid Snake, <laughs> but <laughs> Snake, just Old Snake. And this is why, again, I think that uh, maybe we have to count Operation Dragonfire as part of the Sunbow universe because it does bring Cobra Commander back. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and then there's uh, there's Hector Ramirez, which is the only character to appear in like all four major Sunbow cartoons. The right. the the Inhumanoids, Gem, Transformers, and GI Joe. I know not to see the Inhumanoids thing you're talking about. In Inhumanoids was an obnoxious cartoon about giant. Uh, I I'm. Or are you are you wiping it from your own memory? <laughs> I'm wiping it from my own memory. Yeah, it, it was basically uh, a cartoon starring Chris Lada screaming. Now there's a platform I can get behind. Anyways, uh, oh boy, we certainly talked about lots of crossovers here. I yeah, think... and I'm sure we, I'm sure we left a whole bunch out. I know we left a whole bunch. You can't possibly cover it all, but these are all the ones that were kind of near and dear to my heart. And... Did you, did you know that Mr. Rogers met Arthur? Yes. <laughs> I, I saw this today, and I'm like, oh no. As an animal, yes, I yeah. saw that. Uh, boy, Fred Rogers. What happened, man? You don't need the money. We both know you don't need the money. Well, now he's he's uh, pushing up daisies, so he doesn't need the money at all. Yeah, Fred. Anyways, uh... okay. Um, so this was our episodes on cartoon crossovers. I hope yes. you enjoyed it as much as I did. It's uh... yeah, you got on, you got into like a little nerdcore thing at the end, but. No, absolutely okay. It's whenever you talk about crossovers and shared universes and, and continuities and first with Skyward Sword. No, no, there is no <laughs> Zelda timeline. All right, so this is your host, Ben. We have TVs, Mr. Neal. And we're saying goodnight. Bye. Out of the sky, his rockets ignite. Jets into battle, flying faster than light. Flash Gordon, Lord of the Jungle, the hero who stalks. The beasts call him brother, the ghost war. And defenders of the earth. Defenders. Master of magic spells and illusion. Enemies crumble in fear and confusion. And drink. Defenders of the earth. Defenders. His strength is a legend, his skills conquer all. Armed with his power, we never will fall. No Defenders of the earth. Defenders. Our new young heroes proving their worth. Four become eight, defending the earth. Defenders of the earth.
something funny stan lee wrote the lyrics to that song really yes wow and uh, john romita senior created the cartoon wow because apparently the the uh, animation rights fell to marvel sometime in the 80s for a brief amount of time ah okay so maybe maybe that's why it had kind of the marvel sunbow look the non-sucky look yeah that's why it didn't look like uh filmation all right because everything else was having that Japanese look. I mean, you know, Thundercats and all that was being animated overseas because uh, uh, Rankin Bass was doing that already. Deke started moving over that way. Yeah, I still love that style. It's just that, unfortunately, some of it got kind of bad as time went on. I think that's why people look at look at that style as being kind of bad because they remember all the bad cartoons. Yeah. Like the latter half of season two of Transformers was kind of bad. Yeah. Like, I I watch Transformers on YouTube every now and then. I'll, I'll see, like, a good episode. I'm like, yeah, this cartoon is awesome. And then I'll see, like, a sucky one, like, like Bot or the the Kita Vector Sigma. I'll be like, oh, 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 God. My eye! My eye! <laughs> the goggles, they do nothing. And that's, that's, like, before ACOM, too. So it's like, they were getting shitty results out of Toei. That was that was C team. Yeah, that last half of season two was just kind of. Plus, I think part of it was that uh, Christmas season was coming up, and Hasbro was like, "Well, we got we got twenty new toys. Put them in the cartoon." And the cartoon writers were like, "Okay." Oh, did you like the? uh, Did you like that uh, link I sent you from Saints Row for last night? Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) No, the game literally changes into a side-scroller. That's awesome. There's also one level that's Tron. Yes. I mean, this is like the greatest game ever. It really is. I recommend Saints Row 4 highly because, because what, like I said, the, the vice president is Keith David. It's not Keith David voice. It's, it is Keith David. President Keith David. Vice President Keith David. Oh. And he, uh, and... Every character, you have to like save each one of your characters, one of the, one of your friends, from their nightmare in the virtual simulation. And Keith David's nightmare is they live. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, like the whole level is they live, and you have to team up with uh, with uh, <laughs> you have to team up with uh, with Roddy. Yes. Wearing a kilt. Is it actually Roddy Piper? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and 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 then after you're done, your character, the boss, says to to, to Keith, "Hey, Roddy was really helpful. Will he show up again?" And then Keith says, "Roddy only shows up when he's needed." <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually the most awesome thing ever. It's like, <laughs> see, now you said this was Keith David's nightmare, but I think Keith David's nightmare would actually be like, oh, I don't know, a, a volcano. 
erupting in downtown LA. Like, what the hell am I doing in this shitty movie? Actually, actually, the the best part was, uh, you know, each each one of these nightmares is is just awesomely stupid. Like, like I said, you know, when when you save Johnny Gats, his nightmare is is a three is that two D side scroller. Yeah, Saints of Rage, which yes. is awesome. I can't believe they did that. Yes. And actually one character uh like like this emo guy named Mark Miller. Yeah. His his nightmare is uh no Matt Miller is his name. His nightmare is is a, is a is an old Zork style uh text adventure game you have to start playing through. Oh god. <laughs> it's like and the thing is like was it Saints Row like a Grand Theft Auto? clone series what, what what happened when did, when did they finally get awesome that's fucking awesome <laughs> yes. it's like it's like they they hopped on google one day and they were like what's the super mario crossover game we should do this now what was that one game that that had like everything from the 80s there was like a, a game that did that oh 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 i don't know if this is what you look what you're thinking of but there's a uh, obobo's adventure no, not that one. The um, the other that one's was like, also a pretty good parody. <laughs> no, there was like an '80s crossover game, like uh, something something. It was on Steam. '80s crossover game. It was like, uh, what was the name of this game? It was like, uh, fuck. What is this? It's a. Uh, it, it was it was on Steam for a while. Okay, I, I don't remember. Anyways, the uh, like I said, Saints Row Four. I mean, it gets it's it gets crazy. It, it it's just it it doesn't stop. It doesn't even want to stop. It uh, it just keeps going and going, and and they keep on they keep on giving you references and stuff like that to shit that you don't even remember. I mean, you saw the ending with the power armor, and they start playing the touch. Yes. And they actually use the lines, you know, why do you throw your life away so recklessly? Yeah. I'm like, wow, did they get away with? I can't oh believe God. they got away with it. That is great. <laughs> and of course, Nolan North voices the main character. Actually, one level, one one character's nightmare is is Metal Gear Solid, <laughs> where you have to what, do this stealth gameplay shit, where you have to shoot out lights before you shoot the guard, and if you shoot the guard before shooting out the lights, you instantly lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like. This is bullshit. <laughs> and then, and then there's, and then there's, you get in a cardboard box, and you <laughs> have to start wandering around in a cardboard box. And I'm like, wow, how did these people not get sued? Who's the guy who did Snake's voice in uh, in the old Metal Gear Solid? Uh, games? David David Hayter. Hater. Hater, yeah, David yeah. Hater. They they should have gotten him because he's not doing uh, Metal Gear anymore. They should have like had they, him make They a asked him, but it turns out he was a hater. Oh. <laughs> and in in this one character's nightmare is like a MI six agent yeah. that has her nightmare is 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 your character in Saints Row Four, the boss. Mm-hmm. You know, he has an evil twin that you have to stop. So it's like Metal Gear Solid Three. Dude, that also kind of sounds like Double Dragon, where the end guy is like a palette swap of the main character. It's actually really funny. It's uh, the uh, and uh, one character's loyalty mission. Uh, 
Matt Miller's Matt Miller's like this emo uh, emo uh, fan fiction writer that that's obsessed with uh, with with this uh, supernatural esque uh, fiction story called Nightblade about this vampire hunter who's a vampire. Mm-hmm. He's obsessed with it. So it's like his loyalty mission. You actually have to play through like his Nightblade fan fiction. God. And it's 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 like the stupidest like fan fiction wankery stuff ever. They like make fun of fan fiction writers like crazy. It's like, wow, how how did this game get so fucking fun? Wasn't this like a mil- wasn't this like a Grand Theft Auto clone a year ago? <laughs> oh man. And they actually play with the the past franchises because like in the Saints Row Two. Uh, the main character's best friend, Johnny Gatz, dies in a plane crash. And it turns out that Johnny Gatz didn't even die. What happened was he was so badass, the aliens abducted him years earlier because if because they thought if Johnny Gatz wasn't, you know, if they didn't take Johnny Gatz out of the picture, he would single-handedly start stop the alien invasion. <laughs> so so they retconned, like, their past games. It was like, Wow. This is totally them putting a, a lampshade on their head going, yeah, we don't care anymore. This is just stupid fun. Sounds like the kind of game you want to play now. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> like I said, I just, I was like, when I saw that Saints of Rage, I'm like, I got to show this to Neil. Because oh, yeah. they, they copied they copied the punch. <laughs> the punch from Streets of Rage. <laughs> yeah. You know, Ow! <laughs> I mean, when you saw that punch, were you like, yes? Yes. <laughs> Could not believe they got away with that. <laughs> you have to try this game if you have a system that can support it. The only way they could make it better is if it, is if all the voices were like really kind of rough because of... Uh... They were. Oh, yes. They, they were. They made so he does like the punch was... and he goes, turning over. Yeah, it it sounds it sounds all it sounds all pixelated and the, yeah. the store eight bit distorted all the voices during that section. Yeah, that Genesis sound chip is kind of, <laughs> but you love it anyways. Yeah, like I said, I was kind of like a a latecomer to the Genesis. It was already out the door when I got one. <laughs> like, oh, the Sabbath's coming out. I think I'll get a Genesis. Like I said, I just can't believe this game did this. You know what I mean? It's like off the hook crazy. I mean, the first the first level is like playing like uh, Call of Duty. Right. And then you disarm the nuke and, while flying in midair. The nuke harmlessly <laughs> explodes over Washington, D.C. The boss falls through the White House uh, Oval Office roof, lands in the president's chair, then props his feet up on the, the president's desk. <laughs> and then there's a cut scene like five years later he's elected president and he has vice president keith david on his staff and he's walking to a press conference and keith david says says we only have enough cloth to push one major bill not two so do you want to be the president that cures cancer the president that 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 stops world hunger and and the, the on top of the bill that that cures cancer says fuck cancer <laughs> on top of the bill that cures hunger says let them eat cake I was like, "Wow, that's awesome!" This, it, it, like I said, it's a game that just doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It doesn't know how to stop. It doesn't want to stop. So it's basically like, like Gremlins Two. 
Yeah. Actually, like, the best part is all through the game, there's a British wo- woman voicing, you know, narrating the game. And if you get a perfect score in the game, it reveals that, you know, that the, that the main bad guy, the alien overlord, was uh, was abducting humans all through time. And the the boss is like checking all the humans in stasis pods, and he and 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 it turns out that the narrator is Agatha Christie. Oh God, yes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's it's like this is like the biggest the biggest hurrah shout out and fuck you to everything in fiction at, at the same time. <laughs> And the thing is this, you can hear two people, different people talking about this game, and it would sound like either the best game ever or the worst Drek ever. Like, I was talking to my friend Chuck. Chuck's the one who convinced me to buy it, because Chuck's like, oh yeah, this game's awesome, because because it's like, you know, you disarm a nuke, and the, the theme from Armageddon's playing while you're disarming it, you know, Aerosmith is playing, and all, all your crew is like... Is like saying goodbye to you because they think you're gonna die and then you fall out the off the bomb and no, of course you don't have a parachute. Aren't you paying attention? And you land in the Oval Office, you prop your seat up, and then you're president. And that's how Chuck says it. And then some idiot internet reviewer says, "Yeah, yeah, you, you climb up this nuke and Aerosmith is playing and yeah, and it goes off and you don't have a parachute, of course. And then you fall in the Oval Office and for some reason you're president. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean?" Did you not understand that this was a parody? <laughs> I know. It's like the people complaining about it. It's like, don't you understand what this game is? But you get it. Yeah, I get it. And of course, the main character is voice, voiced by Nolan North. Actually, you get to pick his voice. It's like voice 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and then like buried underneath them all is Nolan North. Right. Unless you pick Nolan North, which I obviously did because it's, it's Nolan North. Yeah, and he says he he actually says he's Nolan North in the game. He's like you're messing with fucking Nolan North or something like that. Yes. (laughs) I just don't get how people hate this game. That game sounds like a love letter. To what? To everything. I know. Oh my god. Oh my god. Well, we've got more than enough extra material now. Oh, yeah. So anyone listening to this, this was my impromptu, not really a review, review of Saints Row 4, where I'm saying, get it. Yes. I wonder what's good. I wonder. Oh, that one guy actually agreed with us about about our nostalgic critic uh, critique. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, for some reason I keep watching it, but I, even though it's unfunny, <laughs> it's okay if you watch it. I don't, I don't care. But in fact, I really, I really don't have that much of a problem with Doug. But I just, I just don't think he's funny. I think his timing is off. His timing is off, and he doesn't. The content he creates is just kind of self-serving, and it's like. Self-congratulatory. Yeah, it's like uh, you seem to be patting yourself on the back, and I don't know why. It's like I don't think you're that funny, and I don't know. It's like some of your delivery could be comical if what you said was actually funny. Well, for some reason, Doug did uh, did a review of The Graduate. I just don't understand the purpose of these things. It's like, why do you do this, man? Because he he needs because that I th- have to. He does. He needs that that delicious monthly ad revenue. Oh boy. You know the one thing I don't get. 
is when the uh, is when someone the uh, okay um here it is here it is uh when 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 someone American calls himself an an, an otaku okay because that, that's that's like a uh, that's that's almost like a slur in Japan you know calling a guy an otaku or is this like saying you know it, it's like basement dweller you know what I mean. I suppose, but it doesn't really bother me because, you know, different regions have different contexts. I mean, the reason why they can get away with swearing in Japanese cartoons is because it doesn't really have the same context. But, but, but it's, it's, it's like, uh, okay, it's, uh, I just think of it as a regional context, context thing. And I, I, well, it's a regional context thing, but when Americans adopt it for themselves, it comes off as this weird thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, but I don't really, it doesn't really bother me. You know what grinds my gears? No, not really. No, it it just bothers me. It doesn't grind my gears. It just it's it's like it's one of those hmm that that's kind of weird. Don't you understand what that means? Kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like when it's like an American calling themselves a gaijin, which yeah. is an insult. Yeah. Which Although, is an insult. Well, that's what working designs is now. They they came back as gaijin works. You know, I bet every Japanese person that's that sends stuff over to them chuckles. Probably. Like, <laughs> oh my god, people are stupid. You know, as much as I love the rock band Foreigner, because that that's really what it is. It's it, it, it's like a, a company calling themselves Foreigner. You know. Right. Not not just even Foreigner. It's like we're it, it's the xenophobic contextualization of Foreigner. Right. Like. It's really hard to explain, but when I put it that way, I think I kind of explain it in, in its own way. It's, it's it's the xenophobic, you know, when you say gaijin, it's the xenophobic contextualization of a foreigner. Yeah, but maybe in a way they're they're taking the power away from that word by adopting it. I, I, I think it's kind of like a... the way people are trying to, and I think successfully taking the word slut and turning it from negative to positive. That's cool. I'm taking it back. Anyways, how do we get to this con- to this tangent? Oh yeah, the Gaijin being yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have to uh, give a nod to the Geek Box for making a very very level headed uh, commentary on the uh, on the DC gay marriage issue, which, as it turns out, DC is just opposed to marriage of all kinds in their comics, and therefore, some people understandably people got a little upset, but it got kind of carried away. Oh, the whole Batwoman thing. And I'm just gonna say again, she is not a she is not a compelling character. I don't think they ever got her too compelling. I'm um, still not well, interested in Batwoman. I'm I've, still not. You know what? I've never actually read it, so I can't really comment. But well, I'm just telling you how I feel. It's uh, okay. because when they brought her in, the the mo- most important thing they brought in was she's a lesbian, and and then you know the most they did was paired her with the only other lesbian in town, practically. And that's kind of lazy. You know, it'll be interesting if there are two lesbians in a fictional city that don't like each other. That would be interesting. But, you know, if it's written a certain way, I can I can get on board with that. I mean, but but you get my point. that It's lazy. It's uh, here are two lesbians. Well, they have in similar interests. They both fight crime. There, there we go. Yeah, but it sounds like there was something real going on here. There was a romance story and they were getting married after all. It wasn't just hey we're lesbians. They had a story they were telling. They they built up to the story, but when they introduced her, they were already out dating 
when they introduced her. And that's the thing. It's like, because the writers decided when they introduced her, she's a lesbian and she's a lesbian. There you go. Like I said, it it reeks of laziness to me. And, and, uh, well, maybe conceptually it's a little, it's a little lazy, but as with my feeling about tropes, it's okay to start lazy as long as you finish strong. Yeah. Pablo Prado brought up a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, you know, our friend, John Semper, you know, released the trailer for Creeporia, the movie, funded by Asylum. <laughs> and, and let me put it this way. Let, let me put it this way. The effects look bad for Asylum. Wow. No, no, they do. They do. Have you seen it, Neil? You told me that it was, like, on par with the show. If There's a scene where a vampire hunter is staking a vampire, but it's like... It's it's like a blow up doll vampire. I, I I really can't believe that you know. I I really can't believe that 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 you know it's maybe John Sepper was looking at the effects uh, department of, uh, of of asylums like what is this this is not this is way this is way too good for me you have to make it look really shitty. It's it. To, to all you people who love the Fox Spider-Man, go look up the Creeporia trailer. We're, you know, Pablo posted it in one of the comments a couple of eps back. You can look at it. It's This is what the man does with a movie budget. There, I said it. You can see it. You can't unsee it. Defend Fox Spidey now. It's, it's kind of like someone getting like $160,000 and then making the same YouTube video she's always made. Oh, wait. That somebody did that. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So next week we're doing video games. Yes. With Kitty Hawk. Video game uh, cutscenes, I guess. Yes. FMVs. Yeah, FMVs. It's going to be a very uh, Sega CD, Sega Saturn, PlayStation esque episode. Because and I don't think forget got, Booth. Yeah, Don. Well, yeah, the early. Uh, uh, Laserdisc games. So we, get, we finally get to talk about Time Gal. Can't catch me, can't catch me! <laughs> Which I got that game just because it was like basically... Because the, like, the girl looked like Yuri. Yeah, I'm like, well, I gotta get this. And then I played it and I'm like, this game sucks. <laughs> I don't care how much this girl looks like Yuri. <laughs> but it does have a watch mode, so I'm like, oh, I'll just put on a watch mode. There we go. It's like a cartoon. <laughs> sort of. And Maybe then we'll, and then we'll also talk about the Lunar Boat song. Yeah, the Lunar Boat song. God, that car- that game had great animation. I, I'm just really sad that 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 there's like almost a whole episode's worth of Batman the animated series animation. <laughs> you know, TMS animation. Yeah. And even with with the downsampling of the animation for the for the Sega CD, it still looks good. And I just want a clean cut of that, the clean voice, the clean, you know, vocals, and just grab some random bits of Shirley Walker and say, here's an episode. Yeah, that's that's one of those things where some producer somewhere just kind of looks at that and incredulously goes, oh, who would want this? And locks it away in a vault and never thinks to, like, release it on DVD or something, even as, a, like, an extra. Yeah, like, I would. All, the, all I would... the animation from the Transformers commercials, it's like, come on, put those out. I mean, because that animation, I want the clean animation Toei sent back, not yeah. the stuff that was down down sampled for to yeah. fit on a CD. 
yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that someone in America saw that and probably still has it because you know, they, they produced it, the the American team produced it, so obviously they saw a clean version at some point. I'm sending a Bruce Tim, okay. Let's see. I'm sending a tweet to Bruce to, to Paul Dini actually. Let me send it. I've been catching up on like episodes of uh, Fat Man on, on Batman, which is the, the uh, Kevin Smith podcast about Batman. And one of the early episodes, he, he interviews Paul Dini. And the two of them, they're talking about the, the episode where Batgirl dies. And they're almost Over the crying. Edge. Yeah, they're, they're, talk, they're, they're practically crying because of how beautiful the episode is. And did they talk about the, the censors letting them make, the, make it worse? They did, but the Bruce Timm interview actually covers that more in detail and, and bruce tim was like yeah uh the censors didn't want us to drop to just do a straight shot of us dropping around the car so i had to put the camera in the back seat behind jim gordon and, and show it that way and it actually looks worse it makes it worse <laughs> they let's make it worse is, is yeah, because because you you see her body just kind of crumple onto the onto the windshield and plus you you see jim gordon's face <laughs> that way so you get to see this guy watch his daughter. Well, of course he didn't know it was his daughter, but still. He finds out in a few yeah. minutes. Yeah, but still, it's like it's the worst possible thing that could happen to a father. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they're like they, they. Paul Dini gets to like the end of the episode where uh, where Barbara's gonna confess to her to her father about her being Batgirl, and and Commissioner Gordon's like, no, no. You got you got something going on that I can't know about. Basically implying that he knows about her being get, bad girl, and <laughs> and both he and Kevin Smith start tearing up because they they're like the scene's so beautiful. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it is. It is some of the best television ever written. I, I love I love Fat Man, even if the airlines don't. <laughs> and. You know, Neil, who, who we forgot to say fuck you to this, uh, today? What? David Willis. Oh, wow. I think we do that enough, anyway. You know what we forgot to bring up, though? The uh, the Disney crossovers. You know, the uh, Lilo and Stitch, that cartoon, crossed over with, like, six different Disney cartoons. Yeah, that never happened. Yeah. <laughs> You're just kind of blocking it out of your mind. Didn't happen? Yeah. Or the, the Aladdin and... Uh, Hercules crossover. Yeah, that never happened. I actually loved how I brought that up and Rick was like, wait, this happened? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I was kind of incredulous at first. I'm like, how does that even happen? And then you, you mentioned Hades and death, and I was like, oh, damn. And it just, it all clicked. Because <laughs> Jafar was dead and Hades is the master of hell. So naturally, yeah. <laughs> oh boy it's kind of one of those one of those instances where, where I was just kind of like god damn it Newman which is appropriate because <laughs> Newman was uh, Wayne Knight who was also uh, Iago no no no, no. Iago was Iago oh, yeah, was yeah you're right never mind I was Wayne Knight oh my god I got my wires crossed totally it's not it's not Wayne Knight deal it's a uh, it's a uh... are you okay you know I think I might be a little tired Wayne but Knight 
I you know what for some I don't know how I got those two actors mixed up. It's not it's not Wayne Knight. It's uh, it's the guy with the shrill voice. Yeah. Geico, not Geico. Uh, Affleck. Affleck, yeah. God damn it, what's his name? It was uh, G- Godfrey. Godfrey, yeah. Gilbert Godfrey. My plane was scheduled to stop at the Empire State Building. Too soon. <laughs> the aristocrats. <laughs> No, no, that's a comedian. Yeah. All right. Well, I better let you go. All right. All right. Good night. Good night.